Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Trailhead, and uh, it's my privilege to have the opportunity to open up the Word with you this morning. Before we dive in to the passage, um, just a couple of things to remind you about or let you know about. Um, today is Commitment Sunday for our capital campaign. So if you've been here over the last five weeks, um, you've heard our Flourish sermon series, and we've been talking about um, our capital campaign. And our goal is to raise $1.1 million over the next three years to be able to pay off the debt on this building and to move out in generosity uh, in this region around and beyond to, sh- to, s- to spread the gospel. And uh, so today is the day that we would love for you to turn in your commitment cards so that we can find out where we are. If you forgot or if you don't have a commitment card, you should see a book like this somewhere uh, under one of the seats around you. And uh, you can take one of those, fill out your pledge card, and if you didn't have an opportunity to put it in the offering basket, you can put it in one of the response boxes up here or on Connection Point on your way out this morning. So thank you. Thank you to all of you for praying about how you can be involved and how God is leading you uh, to be generous and to be blessed and to flourish by your generosity. We're very thankful for that. The other thing I wanted to let you know about is that next Sunday, Um, is the beginning of December, and so it's the beginning of the season we refer to as Advent, and it is as we are looking forward to the coming of Christ, not only celebrating his first coming at Christmas time, but also his return eventually, and so uh, our Advent series this year is called A Messy Little Christmas, and so we hope you will join us next week, and we are going to see how Jesus can walk with us through the messes of life, even the mess of Christmas, and so please join us for that. So we finished Flourish last week, next week we're diving into the Advent series, so this week um, I just want to take some time and look at a psalm together and see exactly what it is that God has to say to us in this psalm. So uh, let's take a look at Psalm 42 together, and we'll just spend a little time this morning on that. Um, One of the things... And, and there are many, but one specific thing that differentiates Christianity from so many other faiths and so many other religions is that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, um, our experience of, of growth, of maturing, of growing in our faith, um, unlike many other, and I'm not saying all, but many other religions in our faith, our motivation matters. Why we do what we do is as, or in some ways, even more important than just what we do. And in, in, in many, and again, I'm not saying all, and I'm not trying to, to put down other belief systems or faiths, I'm just trying to kind of draw a line of distinction that in many other faiths, as long as you do the right things, you're good. But we believe and we see, um, as we look at Scripture, as we listen to Jesus, as we read the writings in the New Testament, that why we do what we do is just as important as what we do. And there are certain motivations, guilt, discipline, fear, those things can motivate us. They can get us to do certain things. But long-term, they're not very strong motivators. 
And short-term, long-term, all terms, guilt, fear, just that sense of I've got to do this because it's what I'm supposed to do, never leads to joy or contentment. The way we've described this at Trailhead, the way we look at this, what does it look like to be motivated differently? Um, We refer to it as the three G's. So you may have heard this before. We, we try to talk about this regularly because this is our understanding of how the New Testament talks about what it looks like to grow in faith. The three G's starts with, with God's grace. And God, in his goodness, in his love, showers his grace on us through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his death and his burial and his resurrection, totally undeserved by us. Nothing that we could ever do to earn it, Nothing about us that deserves it in any way. It's solely out of his mercy, out of his love. He gives his grace to us. And when we recognize that, and when we respond to that in faith, we are filled with gratitude, with this awe that the glorious God of all creation would shower his love on us. And that awe, that gratitude that we feel, fills our hearts And we pour out praise and worship to him because we just can't comprehend the goodness of his love to us. And as we respond in faith out of our gratitude, it pushes us to want to obey him because we recognize and we see how much he loves us, how much he is for us. And the only natural response to that is, I want to follow him. I want to do what he says is good. And even when it's hard, and even when it pushes me beyond what is my normal comfort zone, because of my gratitude for his love, because of my understanding of his grace, I'm going to follow him. And when we do that, it pushes us and we grow. And we grow, but, but inevitably, whenever we try to follow Jesus, we push beyond what we are capable of on our own, in our own power. And as we stumble and and sometimes even fail in our attempts to follow him, it just pushes us back to recognize more and more and more how much we need his grace. And again, we recognize his grace and it drives us to gratitude and it's a cycle and it pushes us continually and keeps pushing us. And now I say continually pushes us But we'll get back to that continually part in a second. But here's the way this works, and this is different than the normal way that most of us approach or have in the past approach what it looks like to follow God. Because most of us are used to that guilt-based, this is what you ought to be doing. Are you doing X, Y, and Z? If not, you're a bad person or you're a bad Christian and you better fix it. And look at your life, where are you falling short, and it's time to try harder. But this is different. Because what Jesus says is that we grow, not through guilt, but through desire for more. When we get a a vision of a God who loves us and who would pour out his grace on us, we want more of him. And we will do whatever we can do to get closer to him. And this changes not just what we do, why we do it, 
and the results in our lives. There is a world of difference. There is a world of difference between I should and I want to. You know this. In other areas of your life, you know this. There's a huge difference in doing something because you feel like you have to do it and doing something because you want to do it. And God, in his goodness and his love, tells us, here's what is good. Here's what it looks like to follow me. But he doesn't lay on us guilt, and so you better or else. He lays on us his love. I love you. Follow me. The question, though, that I want to deal with this morning, and that we see addressed here in Psalm 42, is this. This cycle of God's grace and our response and gratitude and then growing, what happens when that cycle stops spinning? What happens when we get stuck? Let me put it this way. Have you ever felt distant from God? Have you ever felt, not that you didn't believe anymore, but just that you just didn't have the same experience that you used to have? That you could, in your mind, acknowledge, yeah, yeah, God, I get it. He, he, he died for my sins, and that's wonderful, and I should be grateful. I should feel this, and I should be growing, but I just don't feel it. And maybe, if you're not a believer, it's not that you feel like you're distant from God necessarily, but maybe it's just that sensation that there's something, something more to life, and you're just not there. That idea, that, that feeling that I know there's something else. And I, I want something else, but I just don't quite know what it is. That's the experience that's being described here in Psalm 42. Specifically in Psalm 42, the poet is describing the feeling of at one point in his life having felt this incredible sense of spiritual vitality and not feeling it now. This sense of there was a time when I felt close to God, when His grace, just the mention of it, just filled me with joy, when I was just overflowing with gratitude, but I just don't feel it now. Have you been there? Is it possible that you're there today? That there was a time when you got so excited about Jesus and about the gospel and about the idea of coming together for church. It was an exciting moment in your week, every week, 
yes, I'm going to worship God together with these other people. And throughout your week, you were just fired up. And Jesus was what you thought about. And Jesus was who you wanted to be talking to and what you wanted to read about and what you, everything you just, and, and you felt that, felt, felt that way, past tense. And now, it's just not there. And so Psalm 42 It starts out like this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's this deep, deep desire. God, I want you so badly. Like a a deer, the, the analogy, the metaphor and carried throughout this psalm is the metaphor of thirst, which is so perfect because regardless of time or culture or context, I don't, there are some passages of the Bible where there's a metaphor or a parable or something like that, and it's like, now you have to understand this and this and this about the time and the place and the economic system and the culture. This is talking about being thirsty. I think we've all been there. I think we all know what it's like And maybe this would be a better sermon in August, but I'm sorry. But I think we all know what it's like to just be so dry physically. So I just need a drink so badly. I teach middle school and high school. Um, If I'm to take my students at their word, they feel that way every 45 minutes. (laughs) Mr. Parks, I'm really really thirsty. I've got to go right now and get a drink. But you know it. I mean, when it's real, you want to drink so bad. And that is how the psalmist is speaking about his desire for God. He just feels dry. And the way thirst works, the longer it goes, the more it intensifies. The worse it gets, the drier you feel. And that's what he's talking about. When shall I come and appear before God? I desperately want to know, to see, and to be seen by God. Do I believe, do I recognize, do I say in my mind there is a God, he is real, he loves me? Yes, all that mentally I assent to, but I want to know him and be known by by him. I want to have the experience of communication with him. I want to see God. But I'm not seeing it. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. The pain is all I have to go on. And see how he carries the metaphor. The only moisture, the only relief that I can feel. I need water. And the only water I've got is my own tears. Because I am alone. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Nobody else is with me on this. Everybody else is just taunting me. Everybody else either has this experience, they've all got it together, they've all got it figured out, Or they just think I'm a fool. There is no God. And why are you even looking for him? I am completely isolated and alone. 
And it's almost intensified by his memory of how things used to be. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. (laughs) There was a time when this was my life. And it wasn't just me. I was with a group, and we all together were worshiping. And I wasn't just worshiping with them. I was leading. I would lead them in procession. People were looking to me. My experience of grace was so amazing that others were like, wow, we want what he has. We want to go where she's going. She walks with God. He knows Jesus. And I would lead them, and together we would worship, and now I just don't feel it. And the memories just intensify the pain. When you're thirsty, remembering the last time you had a drink doesn't usually make you feel satisfied, does it? Verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I don't even know where all of this is coming from. I can't pinpoint a specific source. This would be so much easier if I could just say, oh, this spiritual dryness, this disconnect from God, it started here. It happened when I... You know, I was, everything was good, and then this thing happened, and now all this, but it's, I don't, I don't even know. It's just here I am, and I can look back, and I don't know how I got here. I guess it was a gradual drift. I don't know. I didn't wake up one day and decide I'm going to stop having a, a vital connection with God. It's just where I am now. Why? So the question is, what do you do with that? Where do you go with that? When you feel as if you are so distant from where you want to be spiritually, when you feel like your connection with God has been severed, when you feel like within you, you have a deep, deep desire for something more, what do you do? Now let's be fair. It seems really obvious, doesn't it? What do you do when you're really thirsty? Well, you get a drink, right? Like, of course it's obvious. And yet, and yet, this feeling often for many of us goes on and on and on. It's not that simple. Why? Most of the time, it's because we keep trying to get the wrong drink. If you want to flip over to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet. um, And Jeremiah the prophet spoke about this exact issue Uh, when it was an issue for the entire nation of Israel. The entire nation of Israel 
had grown cold, had grown distant from God. And God speaks through Jeremiah to the nation. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says to the nation of Israel through Jeremiah, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's what we do most of the time. When we feel thirsty, we go looking for a drink. Unfortunately, we go to the wrong sources. The metaphor here is of making for yourself a container for water that cannot hold water. And if that's the case, you will never be able to quench your thirst because every time you keep going back for a drink, you're going to a source that's already dry. And that's what we do too. We believe that we can find satisfaction, that we can quench our thirst, that we can make ourselves content, joyful, fulfilled, if only something. And for all of us, it's, it's different what that other something is that we turn to. But all of us have a go-to, possibly more than one, that when we are feeling low, when we are feeling separated, when we feel like we are not connected, that's where we go to try to find satisfaction. We've spent the last five weeks talking about probably the most prominent one in our American culture today, which is materialism. If I can just get more stuff, that will fulfill me. If I can just have the right things or the right amount of money or the right whatever it is, that will give me satisfaction. But there are other places we go as well. Some of us go in two opposite directions, either hedonism or moralism. We either decide that we're just going to live out whatever pleases us, just go all out for as much physical, material, or, or, or emotional pleasure as we can accrue. Others go in the exact opposite direction. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to follow every rule. I'm going to push down all of my desires and just live in this totally Spartan kind of I am not doing anything wrong and then I'll find joy. None of that works. Some of us, many of us believe that if we just construct the right image, that will satisfy us. If other people think I'm satisfied, then I'll be satisfied. If I appear to be in the right place, I will be in the right place. I'm just going to fake it until I make it. And so we keep going to all these things. And we keep looking to these things to satisfy us. And it never works. And instead of being content, we just keep getting thirstier. The gap, the feeling of separation between us and God just keeps growing. The best analogy I can think of for this, and this pains me to say this, but, but Joni and I have had this ongoing conversation about the difference between soda 
and water. I love soda. Actually, I have to, I'm from Indiana. I call it pop. I moved here and I found out people here don't call it pop. Call it, so I'm trying to be culturally sensitive and saying soda, okay? Um, my firm belief is that when I'm really thirsty, I really need some pop. My wife, and when I say my wife and I have had an ongoing conversation, what I mean is she's right and I'm wrong, but I keep wanting to be right. So um, that's how our marriage works. But anyway, um, I, I love to drink soda. It never actually quenches my thirst. And there's a scientific reason for that. Like, it's just true. Um, soda, especially caffeinated soda, is actually dehydrating because of the caffeine and sugar content in it. Um, the more you drink of it, actually, the thirstier you become. But it tastes really good. And usually when I drink it for a little bit, I feel like my thirst has been quenched. But I just get thirstier, and I just have to keep going back for more. What I actually need is, of course, water, because water is actually hydrating, by very definition of the word hydrating, water will hydrate you. But I keep going back because in my mind, in my, um, just, I don't want to over-exaggerate, I'm talking about soda, but anyway, in my t- twisted, warped view of how this should work, because it tastes better, it should satisfy me. And because there have been multi-million dollar marketing campaigns staged to convince me that soda will quench my thirst. And so I go back and I go back and I go back, but the more I do, it never actually satisfies. This is what we do. We keep going to things that look good, that sound good, that we've been sold, will, can, will satisfy us. If you have this, it will be enough. If you do this, you will be fulfilled. And it never works, and it it actually makes us worse off, but we keep going back, we keep going back. Now, here's the thing, pause. I am not saying that soda is inherently evil, okay? In fact, I believe that soda is a good gift from a good God who loves us very much. Um, It's meant to be enjoyed, but it's not a substitute for water. Most of the things that we look to to fulfill our longing, our need for acceptance, for security, for love, for success, most of those things are not in and of themselves bad things. They just won't satisfy us. It's not wrong to have a good relationship with your family. But if you believe that having a good relationship with your family is going to fulfill you in life, you will be unsatisfied. It's not wrong to be successful at your job. But if you believe that advancing in your career will make you satisfied, you will be left thirsty. 
we keep going back to these broken cisterns, these poor substitutes, hoping each time, this time it's going to work. And in our delusion, for some reason, being surprised when this time it fails again. And then convincing ourselves, well, the problem is I just didn't do it right. I haven't had enough. I just need more. The only thing, the only thing that will get that wheel turning again, the three G's, the only thing that will draw us back into connection with God, the only thing that will ever satisfy us is to respond in faith to God's grace. To recognize who God is and what he's done and lean hard into him and him alone. To get a deep, deep drink from the well of God's grace. Look at verse 6. Actually, the end of verse 5, into verse 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore, because of my recognition of the seriousness of my condition, therefore I remember you. You, God. Not, I remember myself and what I used to do and what the experience used to be like, how good things used to be. I remember you, God, you, the source. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, those are references from the psalmist to ways and places and times that God had worked mightily through his sovereign power in the history of the nation of Israel. I remember your power. I remember your grace toward us. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. God, all that I need, all of the water that I need is here. It is deep. It is powerful. It's not a trickle. It's not little droplets of water that I need to scrape off the ground. It is a waterfall pouring over me, cascading over me. I recognize, as a believer, God's grace is poured out like a waterfall, like breakers and waves that have crashed over me. Believer, all of God's grace, all of God's goodness has been given to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has held nothing back from you. All of the goodness of God, all of the grace has been poured out on you. It is there. It has washed over you. Whether you feel it or not, it is there. It is true. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, verse 8. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love. God's love is solid. Steadfast, unchanging, it's not moving. We move, we drift. 
We look and we see we're not where we used to be. It's not because God changed. God is unchanging. His love for us is unchanging. Because his love for us is based on our acceptance through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because our connection to God, our standing with God, is achieved through a connection to Christ's standing with God, because we have peace with God through Jesus, it cannot change. Regardless of what we do, because Jesus doesn't change, God's love for us doesn't change. If we are covered by his sacrifice, then God's love for us is steadfast. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Even when I'm not feeling it, God's love does not change. And so, when I feel distant, I don't have to do more and try harder to get back to feeling a connection to God. I need to recognize, I need to recognize that all that I need is already right That all that I need to quench my thirst has already been poured out to me. I don't need to do more to earn it. I don't need to go elsewhere to find it. I just need to take a really deep, long drink. I have to lean hard into this truth. The only truth that will ever satisfy is to know that I am accepted, I am loved, I am successful, I am secured in Christ through Christ's sacrifice. And that's it. And I have to believe in that. And even when I'm not feeling it, out of a desire to feel it, out of the thirst within my soul, The pain that I feel in my separation is actually a gift from God. Hunger and thirst, the discomfort that we feel when we're hungry or thirsty, those are actually good things because they train us, they alert our bodies to our need for something, something that we need to survive. That if we never felt hungry, if we never felt thirsty, and we just went and didn't drink and didn't eat, excuse me, we would starve, we would dehydrate, and we would die. The thirst, the pain that we feel in separation from God is a gift that calls us to something better. It's God telling us there is something more than what you're currently experiencing. And we want to shut out that feeling of discomfort. And we go to the broken cisterns and we get the substitutes because we want to numb the pain of the discomfort. 
But the pain of the discomfort points us to something that's so much better. Now, there's a truth with this, that leaning hard into the gospel, that believing again the truth of who God is and what he's done for us does not automatically solve everything. Look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? In verses uh, 6 and 7 and 8, he says, I remember this. I know this. I know it's true. I know I have been completely immersed in your love like a waterfall, and yet I still feel the pain. Because growing in grace is not automatic. But daily, as we believe that Jesus is better than all of our substitutes, daily as we remember his goodness and his love for us, as we believe that he alone can satisfy us and as we turn to him and trust that he has made a way for us to know him and go to him and call out to him, as we rest in his grace, that grace awakens within us, maybe slowly, maybe very gradually, but it awakens within us joy, awe, gratitude. And our hearts will follow and we will come to know Him. And we will be able to be satisfied and to drink deeply. Verse 11, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now I know, oftentimes, this, this type of passage of scripture can feel very theoretical. And the truth is that the only satisfaction and the only quenching of our thirst is to lean hard into the gospel and to grow in his grace. But I want to give you one very, very practical step that can help you in that journey. Notice in Psalm 42 that along with as a part of the isolation, or excuse me, as a part of the thirst that the poet is feeling, that there is an isolation and a separation, yes, from God, but also from others. That the poet speaks frequently about the feeling that everyone is against him, everyone is taunting him. When he remembers what it used to be like, it was a shared experience. And now, he's all alone. 
If you want to take steps to grow in your faith, to lean into God's grace, to allow Him to shower His grace on you, not that He hasn't already, but for you to experience it and understand it, you need to surround yourself with others who are also pushing to be satisfied in Jesus. You need to surround yourself with others who desire Him, who believe that He alone can quench their thirst. Our instinct when we feel distant from God is to distance ourselves from others as well. To push back and to push away, to believe in our heads and in our hearts that we are the only ones who are going through this. That if I told anybody how I'm feeling, they would look at me with so much contempt because they all have it figured out. They've all been drinking. Well, <laughs> that was what I meant. They've all been experiencing God's grace in such an unbelievable and miraculous way. They are all so much holier than I am. So I just need to keep quiet and draw back and not let anybody in. It's a lie. It's a lie. We are all broken and thirsty people. We are all stumbling toward holiness. None of us have figured this thing out. None of us lives in a perfect cycle of continually growing. None of us could chart our spiritual growth as an upward sloping line on a graph. None of us. But as some of us seek to find our fulfillment in Jesus, we need to pull together with others who are headed in that same direction. We need to surround ourselves with people who will push us to find our satisfaction, not in our stuff, not in our image, Not in our portfolio, but in Jesus. Not out of a sense of duty, not because we have to, you know, just add that to the list of things I should be doing. Yeah, I should be reading my Bible and I should be praying. Oh, now I should be meeting with my community. No, 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 no. Because of our intense desire for God and his goodness and his grace. Find others who have the same desire and push each other together. Remind each other of God's goodness towards you. Remind each other that He has already poured out everything we need on the cross through Jesus to us. Our motivation matters. That if we feel like we have to do this and have to do this, we will grow colder and colder and colder. But if we see the beauty of who God is and what he has done for us, and we allow that to awaken within our hearts, gratitude, thanks for what he's done, 
then we will grow. Not grow just more moral, more mature. We will grow in our experience of who he is and what he has done for us. Let's take some time. We're going to put some reflection questions up on the screen. And then we'll have an opportunity to share communion together. If you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good to us. Your grace and your mercy are so ridiculously good. And God, I recognize again that I deserve absolutely nothing from you and you have given me all. Thank you, God. Please open my eyes to see you. Please let me be satisfied in you. Please help me to turn away from all of the false gods that I run to, that I think will satisfy. And help me to turn to you with joy, with anticipation, with trust that you will meet me there. God, please help all of us to lean hard into your grace in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.